Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 190 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Nick Thacker all about advanced marketing strategies. But first, to last week's question, which was, what will you have done, written, or published by the end of the year? So Eden Collier said, I've really struggled to hit my writing goals this year because I've had a story in my head that I know how it goes, but I'm not sure how to structure. That was until the lovely Dan Wilcox suggested I break it down into a serial like writers like Dickens use. uh, And so far it's really helping. So now my goal is to publish two, yes, two of these episodes before the end of the year. Carla Halia said, I'm going to give another shout out to Dan Wilcox. Dan's very popular today. Uh, A year ago, I wanted to be an author and I feel like he helped me become one by asking the right questions and getting me to focus on the right things not necessarily the shiny ones. I have actually typed the end on two major projects, have another one ready to be literally cut and pasted together into a coherent sequence and two whole paranormal universes established on my hard drive. The goal now is to have those three edited and published before the end of the year and other pieces of those series well on their way to being published no later than the end of the first quarter of 2024. Ambitious? Probably. Doable? Definitely. Okay, so the question of the week this week is, tell me something fun you've done recently. The book recommendation of the week this week is from one of my patrons. So this is Leaving Meridiana by J.A. Mortimer. The blurb goes a little like this. Everyone knows there are no aliens, so what's attacking the planet Meridiana? To save their civilization, the decision Zaren and Crystal must make will change their lives forever. Zaren has it all. He's a flight lieutenant on the space cruiser Atria, promised to a woman of impeccable lineage. But the decision he's being forced to take threatens both his career and his relationship with his mother, Fleet Admiral Nashira. Crystal is losing her home and her family, and on top of that is faced with a daunting responsibility. Now she finds that the one man who can mend her broken heart is promised to another. Together, Zarin and Crystal must find a way to save their people. With the planet under attack and the the substream close to them, they have no choice but to risk taking the survivors through the perilous, uncharted depths of space to find a way home. And if that's not dangerous enough, someone in the fleet is trying to kill them. Who would jeopardise their chances of getting home? Enjoy this classic space adventure with a splash of romance if you like the sound of that and you read sci-fi then uh do check it out i'm going to leave a link in the show notes so in personal news and updates then i think what with all the chaos of uh going to seville uh, not seville israel uh and things i missed (laughs) telling you a very exciting update which is i think i've already mentioned that i'm going to uh 20 books to 50k vegas but the thing that i didn't mention is that i am delivering the keynote in front of everybody. So I am (laughs) shitting myself. (laughs) No, it's fine, it's fine. I love standing on stage. That's quite a big stage. (laughs) So no, I'm like super pumped and excited. I actually can't fucking wait. I'm I'm already like high (laughs) and I haven't even done it. So it's super exciting. I I, I won't lie though, I am 
slightly intimidated by the size of the stage but it's very exciting so what i wanted to say is if you are planning to go to las vegas and 20 bucks to 50k please 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 drop me a line because i know that um diaries get very full very quickly i know that it is like rapid pace over there and i would love to make sure that I have a list of everybody that I need to see and everybody that I want to meet and, you know, all the dinners and drinks and everything. So if you are going, if there, if there are plans and things and I don't know, uh, but if you want to say hello, please do drop me a line, um, however, uh, so that I can make sure I get to see you. Uh, what else? Okay, so that was the first update. The second update, I'm so funny. <laughs> I just re-listened to last week's intro. I hate listening to my intros, but I re-listened to last week's intro and I was like, oh, I'm going to take some time off. <laughs> oh, what a fucking idiot. <laughs> I have not taken any time off. Who am I? Who who was that last week? Oh my goodness me. Um, but look, I'm super exhausted. So I do feel like there may be some time off in my future. Um... What I have realised is that being out of the country twice in a month and having London Book Fair all in the space of like three weeks is a bit much for me. <laughs> it's a bit much for my family as well. We're all very tired. Um, and so I'm very much looking forward to just uh, not really doing an awful lot this weekend. But in work, I did say last week that I was going to look at my production schedule and I have done that. I have replanned for the rest of, uh, actually all the way out until the end of 2024. Uh, but there are some things that I think are gonna lead to changes um, and therefore I might have to replan it. I'm excited about the amount that I can do. I've tried to uh, evenly, I've, tr I've tried to make sure that I can consistently do what I normally do. Um, so I I have realised that I think it's unlikely I'm going to publish nonfiction this year. I am going to be publishing courses, um, and I am going to be writing nonfiction this year. But I can't. I don't think I'm going to quite get it in uh, because obviously I don't want to publish in December, um, and I don't think I'm go going to quite make it uh, for November publishing. So that will come in the new year. Um, but I feel calm again, knowing that I now know what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. And I've sort of made this massive whiteboard and like put, um, what's it called? Washi tape and put 12 months in it and tried to put the right work in the right months and things so that I stay on track and I have a bit more discipline and structure um, in the business so that I can uh, see the growth that I'm after. So that's exciting. I still need to outline the next book. <laughs> But I am, I am aiming to do that next week. I've slipped everything by a week so that I can just slow down slightly. Like, look at me. Who even is this fucking woman who's talking about slowing down? I mean, like, yeah, it's going to last a week and then I'll be going at full, full speed again. So don't worry too much. Um, but nonetheless, I just needed a second to breathe after all the traveling. I just wanted to say thank you so much. I've had an awful lot of comments about last week's episode uh, and TJ Clune. A lot, a lot, a lot of um, positive comments and praise for that one. So I'm really glad uh, that that resonated. Thank you all so much for taking the time to tell me. I do appreciate it. One last thing, on the last week of the month, uh, which will be 
sorry, the last weekend of the month, the 27th and 28th of May, I'm going to do a Heroes and Villains weekend where I will discount both books uh, on all of the stores. And so um, I will give you more information about that. But I just wanted to drop it in and let you know uh, that that is coming in advance. So look out for that. Okay, the Rebel of the Week this week. Oh, it's an anonymous. I love it when they're anonymous. I mean, I also love it when I know who you are, but but this is always, that always makes me wonder how naughty this the rebellion's going to be. Okay, so anonymous says... After a friend of mine handed in his PhD thesis, our common supervisor went on a rant. He told us how we young people thought we were so original in our acknowledgements when really we weren't, and then cited as an example the one guy in his time who wrote his acknowledgements as an acrostic to spell out his name. Two things went through my mind. First, I don't like generalizations, especially not when they center around the narrative of things were so much better back in the day. Second, I could definitely do better than an acrostic for my acknowledgements. So, in the following months, while working on my own dissertation, I also wrote a grand tale of building found family, fighting for your degree, and the power of unfailing love. In verse, of course. Echosyllables with coupled rhymes, because I'm a (laughs) show-off. I titled it Ode to All the People Who Got Me Through. After I handed in, my supervisor came to me and said the thesis was good and my acknowledgements were epic. I think I win this time. (laughs) Yeah, you do. Oh my goodness me. That is fantastic. I so love that story. What a fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) to the professor who said that I love this so much if you would like to be a rebel of the week please do send in your story we are always in need of rebel stories and it can be any kind of rebellion something big something small or something in between you can email your rebel story to becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com Welcome and a huge thank you to two new patrons, Liz Lincoln and the Blumenkrantz twins. I hope I said that correctly. Thank you so much for joining me. And thank you, of course, to all of my existing patrons. You guys really do mean the world to me. I really appreciate the support. It does literally help to keep the show running. Um, And it also helps to make me feel like what I'm doing is, is helping and is worthwhile. So thank you all so much. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content like uh, lessons learned from, uh, I I wrote up 17 or 16 lessons from my recent uh, in-person event. You also get access to the Slack community. You get poison and prose monthly writing group question and answer session lives. You get movie nights. uh, You get the Slack community and you get um, masterclasses as well. And you get all of that from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Okay, that is it from me today. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Nick Thacker. Nick is a USA Today best-selling author of thriller and action-adventure novels and the founder and leader and lead... sake. And the founder and lead of Conundrum Publishing, a company designed for one thing, selling thrillers. Nick has also founded and sold businesses, including Author.Email, the only email marketing service exclusively for authors, and RadioWrite, the 24-7 news and music station designed for authors. He lives in Colorado and Hawaii and writes in brewery. Right, it's hard. <laughs> I knew I was going to mess that word up. Brewery. <laughs> <laughs> Pubs, just say pubs. 
abs. Why that one? Yeah, right. I'm leaving this in. Abs worldwide. <laughs> Stay up to date. Stay up to date with his curated author marketing weekly newsletter, Backstack. Hello and welcome. Don't ever I try to throw in. in some words that will throw people off. I I gotta say, I did not expect that one to be the one to get you. I still don't think I can say it. Brewery. Yeah, no, that's it's it's a mouthful. That's why we write and not speak, right? But speaking of speaking, (laughs) listening to this show beforehand, and then that inner that I want you to introduce me everywhere. (laughs) I think actually, I want you to read all the books that I'm reading on my Kindle, um, even if they're in audio format. Like, I want you to come to my house and like read to to me at night before I fall asleep. (laughs) You're not the only person that says that. You have such a beautiful, amazing voice, and it's like, and you like went into it too. You're like, turn on. Yeah, well, here's a funny thing. I used to do voiceover work as a teenager. Okay, I was going to ask. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and I've done a couple of non my nonfiction books in audio. I really want to do fiction, um, but I'm chicken shit. So, I just I'm going to pay for coaching for someone just okay. to just because the, the game is. I have a lot of vocal flexibility. Like my favorite game with my son is to do silly voices and accents. Oh, that's so, awesome. yeah, I I really as long want as you, to the it. word brewery is not a part of it. <laughs> I. It's okay. It's okay. We'll get there. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. But to answer your question, no, I'm good. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm very happy to be here. Oh my goodness, me. Yeah, thank you for that. Very interesting. I've already got my money's worth from this too. (laughs) Oh dear. Okay, tell everyone a little bit, a little bit about you and your journey and kind of how you got to to where you are, and also about radio. Right, that's that's incredible. Tell me about that. (laughs) I wondered. Yeah. So no one's ever mentioned that, and you know, I I I thought that was cool. Yeah. I built this stupid little radio station, uh, internet radio station. Right. It's just it's just constantly playing music um in podcasts and things like that for writers and i always mention it in like presentations at conferences and everyone's like yeah we don't care about that and i'm like hmm. but that's the coolest part that's I, i'm up here telling you about all this stuff but that's what i want to talk about um no but let me back up a little bit i yeah i'm an author and um i kind of accidentally fell into it i write thrillers um and my first one i wrote for my dad uh, his dad had passed away that year and i thought let's do something fun for christmas for my dad um that kind of reminds us of grandpa and we used to share novels and thrillers and stuff. So I, I was like, well, let's write something in that uh, genre, like in that vein. And cause I thought I literally thought I seriously, I thought how hard could it be? <laughs> uh, I had no idea. No idea. I was so oh, naive. Yes. <laughs> how hard could it be? Oh, if these authors can do it, I can do it. How hard can it be? Um, it was hard. <laughs> it was pretty hard. This is how bad, this is how, this is how stupid I was. I mean, I still am, but like I was way more stupid back then. Early twenties, just gotten married. Um, and I, I had read a lot of these books. I knew the thriller genre very well, but I didn't know how to write anything. And I literally told my wife one day, this is hard. I wonder if anyone's ever written a book about how to write fiction. No. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. This is well into the days of Amazon. Like I could have just Googled it or Amazon, you know, found it on Amazon. And so sure enough, you know, I'd look up, I was like, oh, it looks like some people have written a book on how to do this. Let me buy a couple of those. So that got stuck in the muddy middle. And and I took a few months off and just read a bunch of craft books and things like that. Learned about structure, learned about plotting, learned about, you know, character development, um, all of which I'm still trying to get good at. But, um, you know, here we are 40 books into it and I love it. It's a great job. I get to do this kind of stuff all day, which is amazing. 
And, um, you know, I started as a marketer. So I got to kind of use that as part of what I do in fiction, which is really cool because I do believe uh, I'm starting to really kind of come around to this revelation. I think that craft is marketing and vice versa. Like we can't really do one well without the other. Um, I was ranting. I was ranting the other day uh, to a friend of mine in frustration because a lot of people look down on doing what I call writing to reader um, because I don't really like the phrase right to market, but I love the, the term right to reader because that's actually what we're doing when you think about yes. it. We are writing right. for the reader, so we are writing to them. Anyway, and and I was kind of ranting because I, I genuinely feel like people look down on it. And yet it is actually extraordinarily difficult to write to reader. It actually takes an awful lot of craft and an awful lot of market knowledge and an awful lot of understanding how to deconstruct what is working to do it successfully. And yet people are like, oh yeah, you know, you haven't done as well or you're not valid because you're writing to to reader or or whatever. And I'm like, what? It takes so much effort. Well, and I think that that really well represents the two biggest obstacles authors have uh, with this exact debate. Like the first obstacle is uh, they, they don't know how to do that. And so they use it as an excuse to not do it. Right. It's so hard to write to reader, to understand the reader, to understand the tropes, to understand what they want, the expectation that they they just say, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to write what I want to write, which leads into the second obstacle, which is they believe it diminishes the art. Right. That, that well, this isn't art anymore if I'm writing to make money. And I'm here to say I'd rather be a rich artist <laughs> than a poor author who hasn't found a reader, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that's kind of tongue in cheek for sure. But like it, it's. I don't think at all art is diminished by selling that art. And they're not mutually exclusive either. Yeah. Like you can have both. You, you absolutely can have both. both. And like, and and this was like the whole, like I kind of realized all the mistakes I made with my first series and then was like, Oh shit, you know what I've done wrong. And like, so then I like went into this massive analysis, like of the market working, like, and there are loads of genres I could have written in and maybe made more money, but now I'm making good, all right money, you know, in a genre that actually makes me happy as well as like, you know, reaching readers. So, and like, for me, that's, yep. that's perfect. That's like that's where I it. want to be. I, I believe I could is. make more money in a genre mm-hmm. like, you know, ro- billionaire romance. And I'm not saying that that's a bad genre or that it's easy to make money. And it's not, I, I just, I know that I could probably, there's so many more readers in that market right now that I could make money in that market, probably more than I make now. But I wouldn't be happy. I don't want to write that. I don't read mm-hmm. that, first of all. So I wouldn't know it very well. So I probably wouldn't make money. Uh, but the point is exactly what you're saying. Like, now I'm in a genre that I love. And yeah, I don't make as much money as if I were to write space opera. But guess what? I don't really like space opera as much yeah. as I like thrillers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I, I love I love this already. Okay, so I watched your um, Vegas presentation. For those listeners who don't know what I'm talking about, the 20 books to 50K Vegas November, big, big conference that's on my bucket list. Um, And you had a very interesting um, presentation on advanced marketing. So I wanted to talk about some of the topics in there. And one of the things that I loved um, is that you started with saying you can't sell a bad book. And I wondered if you could explain what you meant by that. Can't we just sell every book? Um, and like, what, how do you, what is a bad book? How do you define bad book? I love that. Sec- the second question, especially because I didn't get to get into that 
in in Vegas. But I'm going to start there because it's so important. First of all, I think most people would agree with vague platitudes like, well, you can't sell a bad book. But that doesn't mean anything if we all define good or bad differently, right? It's not, first of all, it's not an objective statement at all. Uh, It's very subjective. What's good for me is not necessarily good for you. So it goes back to what you were talking about, where we have to know the market. So if we are in a market when we put a book out, if we don't know what that market is, it's probably not going to work very well. You know, um, you may be in literary women's fiction or literary or women's fiction or contemporary fiction or thriller, whatever it is, you know, it's so useful to know what that market is and what they want, because then you can sort of use that or use the books in that genre as a barometer for how good or bad your book is. Does this have the same structure? Does this have the same sort of character arcs? Happily Ever After is important in Sweet Romance. Does it have that? Like we have to do the things that the readers want or the readers aren't going to want it. Um, And so the market sometimes dictates what's good or bad. But also um, this kind of assumes that you can write a book well, right? And so I wasn't really speaking to the author who's like, hey, well, I've written a couple blog posts and I just graduated high school. I want to write a book. That probably is not going to be a good writer. That doesn't mean that they're a bad person, right? I'm not saying that they're, we, we don't like those people. Um, they're just not there yet, right? So they haven't practiced. They haven't put in the reps. I really think that doing this for some amount of time um, gets you better at doing the thing that you say you're doing. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm phrasing it that way because I think authors generally have a problem with practice. I don't think authors know how to practice. Well, or at least if they know, they don't think that that's something they can do in this industry, in this world. Um, I'm a musician by trade. Like I I went to school, I got a degree in music. And so I understand violently well what practice really means and what it looks like, um, unfortunately. And and I I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to put that practice in for music because I knew what it would take. Um, So that said, I know what it means to practice writing. And I, I think we need to do that for so many years maybe before we can really say what I'm doing is good. Not even great, but just good enough to sell. So there's the two kind of big components. Like, are we writing well? Um, and do we understand what genre we're in and really know how to craft a book that way? So that kind of answers the second question, I hope a little bit. Like it's definitely subjective, right? Dan Brown is better than me, according to most people, but some people hate Dan Brown's writing and they like mine. I don't know why. I think they're stupid, but (laughs) The point is, it's definitely, there's going to be some subjectivity to all of this stuff, but you can't argue that he's making more money than I am, right? <laughs> what what I think is interesting about that, because I love that concept of the practice, of practice. And I think that, I, I think I have a slightly, I, I agree with you in a slightly different angle. I no, think I want authors, you to disagree. If I'm not. Oh, I'm not afraid to disagree. All, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that authors know in air quotes that they need to practice but they attach expectations to that practice they they misalign their expectations and think that i can deliver a book to market or i can deliver um my first book and make money or i can you know and no matter how many times we are told i feel like it's one of those lessons like i hate to say it that we have to learn the hard way and you know it it happens. There are lightning bolts, but unfortunately, lightning bolts are very loud. And so lots of people hear about the lightning bolt and then our expectations get all misaligned and jumbled because we that then we we absorb that and think that that is 
standard and it's not standard is the average author takes at least five five books to even figure out what the hell they're doing then they find a lane then they write a series they write another series and usually they write another series and that's about the time that they start to start making good money but nobody wants to hear that literally nobody wants to hear hear that and And authors like we think that by doing this thing called writing over and over again that that is practice you know, I've written 40 something thrillers now. And so I, I can argue that I've practiced, but that's not practice. That That's the performance, right? The practice is the stuff that you purposefully throw away or the stuff that you, you know, you're literally just trying to do something and get better at this one thing over and over and over again before anybody ever sees it. That I'll, That's real practice, right? I'll give you the perfect example. So uh, what day are we? We're Thursday today. Tuesday, I finished my last book. In January, I wrote 30,000 words and threw them all away. Same book, threw the oh, whole fucking lot away because I fucked it up. <laughs> I, and I was like, that's right. fine. I was just practicing. It's fine. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So then, you know, I took a couple of weeks off and then three weeks and I wrote the net and I wrote the book and I wrote it right this time because I'd practiced. I knew what I'd done wrong. <laughs> you right. know, I do find that I tend to throw quite a lot of words away just because I have to, you know, practice voice or practice... I don't know, whatever, just arc or structure or trope, anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love this. Uh, Okay. So one of the things that you talked about was um, an acronym, ACT, A-C-T. We're not going to talk about cats because- I was going to hope- No, no, don't you do that. We are a cat-friendly podcast here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So you talk about um, ACT. Could you explain what ACT means and why it's important to writers and why you secretly love cats? Of course, I can talk about (laughs) most of that question. Um, It's in order for a reason. It's audience first and then content and then triggers. Triggers, uh, I just, I needed a word that started with T, but I mean, it really does work. It's it's sort of the marketing piece. It's the ask piece at the end. Um, but we can't ask people to do something if we haven't given them the content to, to do the thing about, right? And then we can't really give people the content if we don't know who the people are. So I just worked backwards, but like, that's why it starts with the audience every time. And this is general marketing. This isn't even just books. Um, but certainly with the same conversation we're having about writing to reader, writing to market, um, we need to determine that audience first. If we're doing our jobs well, we're writing that book to a particular market. And we've talked about that. Um, but that market, that's the audience. That's the people we're trying to reach. And that has to come first. We have to know who they are first and then produce content to them. And I, I said this in the presentation. I still believe this is true. Um, it's so much easier and more effective to write a book to a particular audience than it is to find or usually build an audience to fit a book. But especially when we first get started in this whole game, like you know, as authors, um, whoops, my video's all going crazy. Um, what we try to do is write the book that we want to write. And, and, and I applaud those authors. That's so cute and so precious. I'm so happy for you guys. Um, but the real world says, hey, what you want to write may not be the best you know, opportunity to sell a book. Um, instead, what you should do, author, is find a group of people who are represented by this thing called genre, you know, a subcategory on Amazon or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and then figure out why that genre is resonating with those people and then write a book that fits into that. That's so much easier. It's so much easier than trying to say, Hey, I've written this book about lizards in space, but there's a happily ever after at the very end. Okay. And it's kind of, it's very romantic, the whole book. 
And also it's erotic. <laughs> uh, like we're just smashing these genres together that probably will have a couple people who love it, but a couple people isn't gonna build a career from you. And that's not an audience. That's just a couple people, right? So um, anybody who's writing lizard erotica uh, with happily ever after, I apologize, okay? I'm not trying to knock your, I'm not trying to yuck your yum. But that's not a genre. That's not something that's well represented in any of the main bookstores or places people find books. And so unfortunately, that's not something that's going to, you know, build a career. And the whole point of this framework is, hey, we know how to write. We know how to objectively determine if a book is good or bad. Um, I can do all that. That's great. How do I find the market? And that's that's what ACT is about. Audience, content, and then trigger. Trigger at the end is just the call to action, right? You, you've found the audience and you've written a book for that audience. And then authors get scared. We're like, okay, well, I, I'm going to put the book out there and just hope for the best. And like you said, lightning can strike, but it's not going to strike you, author. Just get over it. Like you have to figure your own stuff out, right? You have to manufacture your own luck, if you will. And you do this best by offering triggers in the right places. It doesn't have to be sleazy or salesy. It's literally just saying, hey, I know that you like this thing and I've created this thing. If you want it, it's right here. Okay, I'm going to ask a bit more about triggers in a second, but sure. um, yeah. let's talk about audience because I think it's one of those terms that we, even new authors, do tend to hear know your audience, find your audience, be where your audience are. For those authors who are like, ah, I know, but how? How do you find the audience? How do you know what you're looking for? Like, how do you know? Um, like, where do you go? What is it? What are the metrics or information or demographics that you're looking for to know what your audience is? I, I have a great way to do this um, that works every single time. You start with yourself. That's the practical takeaway. So you literally, in marketing speak, you would create a persona of a buyer, a buyer persona, right? So this is a fake person that you're building from scratch. I don't like to start there. I think that's helpful in marketing. And when you're a corporation trying to sell a granola bar to you know moms, um, you as a marketer usually aren't your demographic, right? But in books, we really need to be. So I say, start with yourself. That's your persona. Who are you? What are you? Where are you? Those kind of thing, demographic questions are a great place to start. I know we're all precious, unique snowflakes, but there's a lot of people pretty close to the way we are as well. Oh, and I'm definitely a precious you, snowflake. You're, you're, you're the most precious snowflake of all. I'm a rebellious snowflake. You are. You are the rebellious. You're very unique at it too. There's no one else who's rebellious. In, in, no in one the in the whole world. Um, right. So facetiously, like <laughs> we've both agreed that like, you know, hey, there's probably people that are like, they don't have to be exactly like us. Right. There's so many readers that like all the same things I like, but then they don't like the Colorado Avalanche because they're stupid. Um, that's the best hockey team ever made. Right. And they're they're just wrong objectively. The point is, start with yourself. So um, how old am I? How where where do I live? What language do I speak? What dialect of that language do I speak? Literally write that stuff down, because then you start to see not only some granular advertising and targeting things for things, you know, platforms like Facebook, that's going to help you. Um, but you start to see things that you're interested in. And then those interests, you can then go take and type into, I say Amazon, uh, wherever you shop for books. I'm going to give you a hint. It's probably not going to be any, any. it's going to be Amazon because they're the ones that have figured out the search engine part and the the subcategories that represent those searches, right? So I might you know, type in, hey, I'm, I really like hockey. Um, I might go to the search engine Amazon and type in books about hockey. And then I realize really quickly, well, actually, I don't want to read any of those. I don't really read that stuff. So what do I like to read? I go back to start with yourself. 
well, I like to read uh, books about, um, you know, military action, but I don't really like sci-fi. Okay. We'll start doing these searches and you start to find categories that Amazon has put together that say, here's all of these books that fit into this category. And then I just go buy three or four of them and you just keep doing this. Right. And this isn't something that usually is a very formal process. It's just an organic thing that we do over time, but we've purchased all these books in Amazon and we've enjoyed some of them and not enjoyed others. And we need to start thinking in terms of why did I like that one? Why did I not like this one? What made me DNF this book versus finishing this one and, and buying the rest of the series immediately? What is it about that? And and usually it's it's some combination of like very specific tropes. Like, oh, it's about, you know, um, a billionaire who falls in love with the sweet, you know, cowboy girl, cowgirl, whatever. Um, but often it's also, it's like I said, it's a combination. It's, it's that plus style, tone, voice of the author, things that we can't really pin down. Um, so we don't need to ignore those things, but we can't really build a marketing career on trying to copy style and voice and tone of other authors, right? We're going to have our own no matter what. So I tend to ignore those when it comes to marketing and just look at those big tropes. What are the books that I really liked? Why did I like it? And we as authors, as author marketers, I should say, probably need to be better generally about figuring those things out, answering those questions. So we start with ourselves. But then we have to figure out why ourself likes this particular thing from a, like a marketing standpoint. What made me buy this book in the first place? It wasn't the cover. Well, it probably wasn't the description. It was something about the expectation I had going into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> I am. Um, even as a prolific reader across like so many genres, there are still catnip things that are almost always going to get me to one click sure. buy. Yeah. And it's usually enemies to lovers, rivals to lovers and smut. That's it. Like if it's got those three go. things, yeah. I'm a I'm a one click by that. Like that's, that's the end and of that's it. awesome to know, right? Yeah. Like, that's so so helpful to know because there is going to be somebody like you, and usually that person is represented by a genre on Amazon. So if you find that category where that stuff exists, and then write the books to fit that category, you're going to be fine. That that's what I can't. That's, that's what the this color one. color coordinated books and the yep yeah that's what that that's what changed everything when I figured that out I was like oh I get it I know how to do yeah. this now um, I'm finally coming around to that too I kind of drifted I'm writing thrillers but that is a large category it's like saying romance well that doesn't really help us determine what the book is really about right mm-hmm. um, and so I started by writing action adventure I like to say National Treasure meets Indiana Jones two very pulpy very sticky kind of, you know, and, you know, I tried to write with a little more serious tone than those books or those movies, but that's really my, my bread and butter. That was what launched my career. And I've drifted from that. You know, I've tried to do the techno thriller thing. I've tried to be real serious and do the crime gritty. I don't even really read those. My triggers, if you show me an Island on a cover with like some, I don't really want a a cryptid or like a monster because I don't, that the supernatural stuff doesn't really get me. But like, if you, if you, threaten that on the cover like ooh, there's a big scary skull i wonder what that is oh my i'm gonna buy that every day all day every day i'm gonna buy that stupid book every <laughs> single time there's an island in some place that we haven't found yet oh my god throw a pirate in i'm done yeah yeah I'm yeah done. i i i know exactly like this is <clears throat> for me it's always fantasy like i much prefer fantasy romance to like contemporary like i'll read contemporary romance but if you give a, me a fantasy romance if it's lesbian and there's spice sure, yeah and it's enemies to lovers like game over i'm like I'm I'm over. Just, yeah. let me just hand you my wallet because... yeah just here just take it just take, take all the my... money yeah take it all feed me feed me the the lesbian romance all, all day long yeah exactly sure. exactly exactly oh dear okay cool so 
triggers then you mentioned that they're like the call to action like where are the best places to put them like are there particular ways to phrase them like what are the best what are the most clicky you know reactive types of triggers yeah so this is a hard question to answer because um we get into the realm of starting to feel clickbaity or like, you know, salesy or and all these words that authors hate. Right. And I hate them too. I don't want to come across that way. It's worth remembering that by the time our audience has seen this trigger, they're pretty much on board. Like if we've done our job well and determined our audience and we've written content to that audience, when we show them the trigger, they're already, they already know they're going to, they want this thing. They already know that they're going to buy it. They just need that little coaxing, right? So that's what I like to think of a trigger as a little, you know, little urge, a little nudge. Um, and I don't mean to be subtle. I'm not saying, you know, sneak in a little, you know, hidden button that they have to find with their mouse. Or um, literally ask them for the sale, but don't be cute about it. Don't, you know, say, oh, if you like this, click here and keep reading and then take them to a sales. No, just say, hey, buy now, buy this book. Um, if it's a call to action at the end of the book, that's also a trigger, right? I want you to sign up for my mailing list because I'm going to send you the next book in the series if it's a freebie, or I'm going to tell you when it comes out if it's on pre-order, right? Well, so what are, because I experienced a very radical shift in the percentage of signups when I gave a, uh, gave my readers the right reader magnet, <laughs> worked that one out the hard way, finally, <laughs> finally wrote like the right thing that I knew that they would really want, because guess what? That's what I wanted at the end of the book. Um, and saw like a huge shift in the quantity of signups. Like what is a good, like as an email expert, like what is a good sign up rate? Yeah. Like what? <laughs> I don't know that I have a number, honestly. Um, you want it to be high. <laughs> you want it to be higher than you did before. And so really it's not, um, I can't, I, I don't even know where to start because there's so many different authors doing so many different things in different ways and different platforms measure this stuff differently. Um, but I will say test it because there's a chance you could probably improve it. Mm -hmm. There's a chance you could make it go, go up. There's a chance like you said, find a different freebie and offer that and, or keep the same freebie and figure out a different call to action, change the wording change the color of the button, right? Remember web 2.0 uh, back in like the early 2000s, everyone was like, orange buttons are the best buttons. And everyone, all the orange, everything was orange. Didn't matter what your company, you know, brand colors were, everything became an orange button for like three days. And everyone was like, well, actually now we've sort of saturated the orange button market and, you know, we don't stand out anymore. So we're changing to different colored buttons. It's wild. Like, but all this stuff was done because they were testing what works. And so let's say you have a click rate of 20%. At the back of a the thing at the back of the book. By the way, you should be tracking all these things, right? Like you can use Genius Link, uh, Books to Read uh, has some basic analytics in there, B2R, right? Um, pretty links if you're on WordPress, whatever it is, there's ways to put a, you know, a link in. And we, before the call, you know, you and I were talking about how helpful it is to have something like this, because then you can change the hop link where it actually goes without having to go and like redo all the, the back matter of your book and things like that. So there's other reasons to do this, but but if for nothing else, like it's going to give you the analytics. You're going to know how many people were shown this link and how many people clicked it. And that's a percentage. And you can increase the percentage by changing a word or by changing where you put it in the page. I even tested putting that call to action, sign up for the mailing list, that call to action in the middle of a book. Like I finished like chapter 25. Yeah, I know everybody. I was like, all the authors hated me. Um, it was like, oh, that's terrible. Every, every reader hates that. And I'm like, how do you know? Have you tested it? Yeah, it worked. It was great. Oh my I never God. Got a, I never got a single complaint. I never got no. a single complaint. Do you never still do it? Never got a single complaint. Yeah. 
I don't do it in all the books because I'm testing different stuff all the time. But sure, every reader, look, I understand why people think it's um, it's a bad thing to do because we make assumptions about what readers want. That's sort of our job, right? We, we've talked about that the whole call. Like we're, we're, we find an audience, we start with ourselves, and we make these assumptions, but they can also be dangerous because they can lead us astray. They can tell us things like readers always hate links in the middle of a book. It takes them out of the book, pulls them out of the story. No, it doesn't. They, most of them just see a link and they're just like, oh, okay, cool. That must be an accident. Let me just move on. Keep reading. Right. Uh, some of them click it. Some of them are like, oh my God, this is good. Thank you for reminding me in the middle of the book. Cause I do want to know what happens next. And I'm going to keep reading, but I want to click this before I forget. Balls Worth of testing. sale. I think that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> what you should, probably shouldn't do is put a link on every single page. Cause that might be annoying. I, you know, I don't know, but maybe I'll test that one day. I'll let you know. Incredible, incredible. <laughs> I mean, that has literally blown my uh, mind. <laughs> um, you know, you could even put it in there and and make it look like um, it's supposed to be there. And I guess what I mean by that is like, um, you know, put put a put a half sheet, you know, a full page image in there, a graphic that looks really cool, maybe a map or something. You know, like when you buy a book, uh, like a paperback or something, and it's like a historic biographical book, and they've got the pictures in the middle. Mm, you know, mm. do something like that. So it feels like it's supposed to, it's not just like an accidental shove in, in a marketing ploy. Like you could literally just say, Hey, this, we're, while we're in this chapter or this section of the book, you know, there's this stuff happening. I wanted to remind you, there's a map, here's the map. Um, so you don't have to go all the way back to the beginning on your Kindle, um, but also click this link and you'll get a download of all these maps of all these pictures, of all these images. Cause we're about to get real here at the end of the book. Right. Um, oh, I love I'm it. just making stuff up. But the point is like, you can have fun with this and readers, aren't going to necessarily be upset with you for that um, because they don't know the rules. Yeah. We're the author. We make the rules, right? They're just the ones reading the book. Oh, I love it. I love being pushed outside my comfort zone. It hurts, <laughs> but it's the best. <laughs> and again, I, I want to reiterate for everyone listening or watching like uh, this, I'm not saying this works. I'm just saying it's worth testing. It worked for me in my genre. And when I say worked, I don't mean all of a sudden I had a huge mailing list. I'm just saying that people didn't hate it. Mm-hmm. Right. And for me, that was a win because I was like, hey, I'm, I assume people are going to hate this. And I never heard I never heard anything about it. That's because I shut my email off and nobody can email me. Yeah. For like three weeks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Me. OK. Um, one of the other things that you spoke about in uh, your session was um, how to choose targets and comp authors to kind of like create keywords and uh, keywords and pro- uh, products for Amazon ads. Um, and I think this is one of the things like when I talk to authors, understanding what truly is a comp author is really hard for them to grapple with and to understand because, you know, it will be like, I write fantasy romance, therefore Sarah J Mass is my comp. Sarah J Mass mm. is not my comp. Right. Um, but but people pick the biggest name because it's the most salient one and the most um, popular or most obvious. But that usually is the wrong thing to do because it's going to cost you a bunch of money to get onto their like sales pages um, and all the rest of it. So yeah, could you talk a little bit about uh, Amazon ads and and targeting and choosing comps? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, The big, so I mentioned Dan Brown, like he's in my genre, right? Or I should say I'm in his genre, probably fair. Um, we, we write in the same genre called like, you know, the historical thriller, techno thriller, like genetic engineering, some of these things, subcategories in Amazon, you'll find both of our books in there. However, he is a little bit more serious in tone. He has a lot of religious and techno undertones that I don't have in most of my books. 
And so, I mean, depending on the book I'm advertising, he may not be the best target for that. Only I know that as the author, like I can't hire an ad agency to, to figure that out. Cause they're just going to go, okay, well, it looks, the covers kind of smash. And I'm sure this is close enough. Close enough is not good enough now because we have so many authors trying to advertise their book. Um, there is a, there is a, a point where an, a target like that becomes too big because everyone else is advertising to it and it's going to cost us too much money. However, um, most of the time we have the problem as authors of choosing too small of targets. People who um, are, I shouldn't say people, uh, books that aren't ranking higher than 20,000 or so, 30,000 maybe on the Amazon store overall, right? So I'm, I mean, like rank one through 20,000. That's sort of the sweet spot for me. I want to find that book that's sitting at 5,000 or 15,000, uh, 10,000 is perfect because then I can target that book um, and know that it's it's popular. There's enough eyeballs getting to it that I'm going to get the impressions data I need. Um, but it's not going to be, you know, one to 100 on Amazon overall, or even a thousand. If you're in thrillers, you know, usually we start at like a thousand because romance keeps the top. Um, but like, you know, thousand to 5,000, that's a pretty big book and especially for a thriller. Um, and so when I find a book that's ranking there, usually it's, it's because they had a book bub or they had a big promotion or it's a new release and I know that'll settle. So I might still choose that book because I know it's a good fit. I read it, I blurbed it, whatever. Um, or it's too big. And, and it's going to cost me too much money because there's too many other authors that know that author is there. Um, and you certainly do get crossover being a problem where you have a romance author and I'm not throwing them under the bus. Every genre does this to every other genre. But for example, you might get a romance author who's like, oh my God, this is thrilling. Let me put it in thriller, right? Let me, let me go call it a thriller. Well, it's not a thriller. It's a romance novel. That's fine. We love romance, but get out of my backyard kind of thing, right? Um, so, so that that's a problem with these bigger authors as well. So, the point is, long story short, um, I like to you know maybe five thousand to like twenty thousand overall rank for each book, um, but that's after I've determined that that book is a perfect fit. You know, I'm not just going to say Dan, all Dan Brown books are perfect. I'm going to say, hey, well, actually, um, his book, um, and now I'm drawing a blank. What is it called? Uh, Digital Fortress. Oh my God. I literally fit. was like thinking, well, is it? I know. I was like, yeah, I was like, um, uh, you have ESPN. Um, well, <laughs> um, I can't remember what movie that was from. Whatever. A uh, mean girls. Is that what it was? I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. I'm getting on a tangent here. Do you have ESPN? Um, <laughs> Digital Fortress is very similar uh, in, in enough ways, enough tropey ways to my book, the contestant that I would use that as a target. Unfortunately, I think last I checked Digital Fortress wasn't high enough. So it's not a great target for me because it's not going to get um, it's not going to get enough eyeballs on it. Um, but you know, again, what I'm talking about is you know how I might choose like a, a what I call a tier A or a tier one target. So I might have a, an ad set up with thirty of these books as targets. But a tier two or three campaign, if I if I really want to promote a book, I'll set up a tier two campaign that's like ranks twenty thousand to forty thousand. Overall, and so I, I might put Digital Fortress into this this one, a little bit cheaper, right? Cost per click can be lower, but I'm not going to get the impressions that I want or as, as fast. Anyway, it's going to take longer. Um, same thing with Tier Three. You can go on and on and on. It depends on how much you want to spend and how much money um, you want to make from finding some of these targets because it it costs a little bit of money to to set them up and get them going and really get them running. But anyway, the point is um, that's how I do it, and it's probably not the only way to do it, but it, it tends to work efficiently because it's fast. I might spend more money the first week than I do for the rest of the campaign um, each week, but I have data right away. 
you know, because I'm choosing these targets, I'm, I'm putting high bids on them. Um, cost per click is higher, but I can turn them off if they're not generating sales. Much, much okay. faster. So you've mentioned like the rank of the book is important. Um, and the thing that I picked up on was like, but you settle on the books also by the tropes in them. So is that the, like, I think really what we're saying here is that the indies need to do the hard work and they need to read the books in the genre to know. Um, are there other, like, let's say you've got somebody who's not a very fast reader. Are there other metrics or things that they can look at maybe on the sales pages to help them determine uh, who would be an effective comp? Oh, totally. Yeah. I don't read every single book that I'm going to advertise to as a, or use as a target for advertising. Um, I think that's ridiculous. Like I, I would love to, but I actually, I have a job. I have to write books and I, I can't spend all day reading. Um, so no, I think it's totally fair to make a lot of assumptions. Like I said, you know, assumptions can lead us astray, but in this case, um, usually we know our genre pretty well. We're not that corporate, you know, executive marketer who's like, well, I'm just going to go market to cowboy romance authors, not knowing what that genre really is. We usually know our genre pretty well, so we can make these assumptions with some semblance of authority um, and, uh, and and know that we're going to find a book that works. So what I'll do is, you know, first want to check the cover, because if the cover sucks, people are just going to click away or they're not going to click on it. Um, usually these days we've got enough market saturation that covers are good, right? So that's not an issue. The description is going to tell us a lot of clues about what the book is about. Uh, like I said before, if it's, oh, there's a forbid, there's a magic island or, a, you know, yeah, mag an island with magic on it. Well, that's not a good fit because my books aren't, there's no magic in them. Um, so things like that, like keywords that we pick up in the description. Uh, but, oh, if it's in, in a pirate island that was lost time. Okay, now we're talking. That's something that I, I I like that book and I've I've written that book before. So let's keep reading. And then we find out that, um, you know, oh, it's about, a, it's pirates. It's set in the 1700s. Mm. Well, that's not a great fit anymore because I don't write historical fiction. Like I write a prologue that might be historical or I might go back in time for a little bit, but the, most of my books are set modern day or even in the near future. Um, so that might not be a perfect fit. But then if it says something like, oh, well, you know, it's set in the 1700s, but then half of it is modern day and it's a thriller about an explorer trying to find this. Okay, well, that's actually getting pretty close again. So you just do this for every book, right? And you do it quickly, you click on it and, and you look at it and okay, the rank's good, the cover looks good, the description seems to check out, it's in the right genres, it's in the right subcategories on Amazon. Um, and then, you know, look at some of the reviews. Do people hate the book? Why do they hate the book? Because it's actually about a magic island, but the cover and description say it's not. Well, yeah, you're going to get some bad reviews for that. Um, but usually what we'll find is a book that is well-reviewed, you know, and it's got a good average, 4.3 or up or higher, 4.2 or higher. Um, and people like what it's about and the book, it says what's on the tin, right? And so those, that, that becomes a good target for me, but even then I'm testing it, right? Like if it's got high enough rank, I'm going to get eyeballs on it right away. I'm going to have a cost per click bid that puts it right in the middle of that first page of carousel, um, which is usually more expensive than somebody who's just using the app, the, uh, um, whatever the, the, what's it called? The recommended bid, um, on Amazon. I usually go a little higher than that, that kind of stuff. So I'm going to get data pretty quickly. I'm going to know pretty well. And I usually wait until about a thousand impressions, uh, at least a thousand impressions that sometimes happens with, for these targets that happens within a day or two after the thing goes live um, for a good target. But then if the click through rate is less than like 20%, you know, 0.2 on that dashboard, then that's not really generating enough interest. My book isn't showing up. I mean, it's showing up and it's not being clicked on enough 
for that book to be a good target for it, if that makes sense. So this is kind of all the the, the math that I do. And if you if you're a mathematician, you know that I'm no John Nash over here. Like that's very very simple stuff to look at. You literally look at this number and then this number, and if it's not high enough, I, I cancel it. I got plenty of other books I can do. Okay, so you've talked a lot about numbers and things that you track. So what are your metrics of like success for these kind of campaigns? Like how do you measure like what you think is? I mean, I suppose the point two percent on the click through um is probably the first one but yeah what what other metrics are you looking for or are you tracking yeah this is so this is really tricky with new books because um you know when I'm, I'm all this stuff i'm telling you i'm usually advertising a book of mine that's old um first in series right written 2014 the enigma strain for example i know pretty well how that page on amazon converts like if, if i get a thousand people to that page probably 300 of them are going to buy the book right if i get 100 people there 30 of them are going to buy the book. I, I generally know that there's a 30% conversion rate on that page just from years and years and years of testing and tweaking descriptions and all that. But generally, because Amazon's really good at selling shit to us, right? So um, I know that that's pretty high. And or for me, that's really good. With a new book, I don't know that. I don't know that this cover works. It, it looks good, but I don't know if it works. I don't know if the description works. I don't know if the keywords are going to work. And so... Um, Usually I can rely on Amazon to sell it as, as well as anyone, um, but I, I don't have the right description or it's not perfect yet, or it can be tweaked. Like I said, everything can be tested. Um, so it's a little trickier for newer stuff. But for example, that older book, the older stuff, I know pretty well what, what the conversion rate should be. So that I so I know that if I get a thousand people clicking over to my book, I know how much money I'm going to make. And that tells me, and I also know my read through for that 15 book series. So I know largely how much money I'm going to make after X amount of time, right? Two months, three months, whatever. When a reader goes from book one all the way to book 15, um, I know the percentage of that and I know when the fall off is. Anyway, the point is um, knowing that stuff helps because then we can say, well, okay, I, I might actually spend $4 a click for this particular target on this book. Well, that sounds insane at first blush, but in you, when you realize that I'm going to make $14 from every single click, because it's a good target and it's a good sales page and everything else is in line. That's not guessing that's math. Like that's averages and there's variability and all that's important. But like, I know that I'm going to make, you know, $10 profit from every, every, every person that clicks on it. If it's a, if it's a well-established um, target and, and ad. So we need to know those kind of things. Um, newer series for me, I don't know that. So $4 a click is probably insane. I'm going to start with a dollar or $2 and thrillers, you know, that's, it's getting more expensive. But if it's a series, I can still make money. You know, so this is really hard. If we're writing standalone, for example, um, sponsored brand ads might be a better way to go because then you're you're selling your whole library at once rather than, you know, I know I'm going to spend eight dollars on this one click. Because, well, they don't, there's nothing they're going to read next. You don't have the read through, um, or you can't even track the read through of a series because you don't have a series. So it gets a little trickier, and this is why authors go to series. But um, yeah, anyway, I hope that is, answers. Yeah, no, yeah. no, it does. This is my big um, difficulty because I like reading standalones. Yeah, and too. I too. like I can't tell you the number of books that I've read book one in the series and never read anything else. Right. <laughs> I I I want task and finish in the book, which is probably why I like romance so much. Um, but also I know that series sell, so I'm trying the hybrid and doing interconnected standalones. But then like I get the thrill of finishing each book that I've written as a complete story. Um, but still. Uh, yeah, it does mean that it's harder to get that read through. And that's that's a choice 
that's a sacrifice. Maybe I'll have to write a proper series next time. Proper, in air quotes. Um, okay, so the last thing that um, I am just going to ask you about before I ask you the ultimate podcast question uh, is about email marketing. So you um, created author.mail. That's right, isn't it? It's got the uh, author.email is the website. We uh, changed author. it to author.email.com. So either one will work, but we just say author email. Okay, or if you're one of the cool kids, yeah. <laughs> um, so talk to me about email marketing. Like, um, we all know that we're meant to have a mailing list. Like that, I think is is pretty standard. Like, what do you wish authors would do more of with their mailing list? You've got to have some bugbears, um, maybe some best practices that are you know really make a lot of sense, but we don't. We seem to be resistant to. Sure. Well, I think the biggest one. And this is pervasive across the industry, not just beginner or you know amateur authors or anything like that. Amateur, what do we call them? Um, middle of the road authors? I don't know. This is true for um, the experts, the ones who are making a million dollars a year. We as authors were, are, seem to be very scared of sending email because of this thing called spam. We're so afraid of the spam monster or the you know whatever the the I don't know guys in black suits showing up at our house and throwing us in prison because we sent spam. I don't think we need to be as afraid of spam. As, uh, as as we are. Um, the truth is, and, and we've got the numbers to prove this out, and I've, I've presented this before you know, on, on a slide, but the truth is like, it's so much more likely statistically for, an, for a reader to just delete or archive the email that you send them than it is for them to unsubscribe. And what, what that means is it's actually more likely that they don't do either one of those. They just read it and then move about their day, right? Um, but, but we, we always think that if we send too many emails, we're going to get all these unsubscribes. The truth of the matter is whenever we send a, a marketing email, we will get some unsubscribes. People will always unsubscribe from our email. That doesn't mean we need to send fewer emails because then what happens is they just more, we get more unsubscribes when we do send that next email. Right. Um, I, so what I'm saying is what I'm getting to is I believe authors should send more mail. We should send more email. And I'm not, trust me, I'm not saying that because I run an email service. We don't charge per email sent. We charge per subscriber. You can send as many times as you want. You're actually costing us more money the more you send email. So I'm not saying this because I, I you know, I make more money whenever you send email. On the contrary, um, we make less. And and so, but it's so true. Like me as an author, I have realized that the more often I send an email, generally, the more engagement I get with my readers, and that's ultimately what this is all about. Um, now there's a limit. Like I can't send an email every single day. For the rest of my life. Like that's just going to piss people off. That's too much. I don't have enough books to talk about then, right? I don't have enough stuff happening. In my, I, I sit in my office all day. There's not enough cool stuff happening in my life that I can tell people about it every day, but once a week or twice a week, absolutely. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm releasing a better book every two weeks this year. And so that's a lot of books to talk about. Right. But it's also, um, if I'm doing this right, it's an opportunity to tell people about my life and how stressed I am about having to release a book every two weeks, right? It's about talking have about you, how I quit drinking or, sorry. Have but, you written all of them by yourself? No, you no, no, like no. I'm, I'm writing, okay. I'm writing one, one, one a week is my is my goal. 23 Wait. and 23. Wait, what? You're yes. writing a yes. book a week? Yes. And I'm not doing it every week, but yes, I'm, I'm going to write, whenever I write, I'm going to write a book in a week. Oh, a book in a week. Okay. Okay. And then, yeah, I'm going to, well, yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to probably write 23 books and release 23 books this year. That's my goal. I, do you dictate? I have to. Yes. hundred percent. Okay. Okay. 
Yeah, okay. absolutely. I, and I just, I'm just kind of fighting time here. I got arthritis coming in. So I'm like, Hey, the, the sooner I can get to like 100% dictating I want my chair, the Stephen Hawking thing. Like where I can just, I don't even have to like open my mouth to talk. And I'm sure he did it for a medical reason, but like that guy had something figured out. Um, like that's what I want. Just let me type in a computer and then, you know, or connect it to my brain or whatever. And then just tell people to do stuff for me. He I mean, that's, out. that's a lot of books. How do you make your mouth speak the book? Because like I've tried dictating, I've dictated, I dictated, funny enough, I dictated the first book I ever wrote, um, but it was nonfiction, um, which felt easier, but I can't seem to do it for fiction. My brain just shits the bed and then just, I'm just, totally. I just yeah, it's... can't do it. It's a skill set. Um, and I'm, I didn't want to, I mean, I'm not trying to self-promote. I do have a, a course about this. It's $35. It's very, very inexpensive. <laughs> but like I put this together because people like you were asking me, actually it was Dale from self-publish. Uh, oh with yeah. Dale. yeah. Yeah. He's a friend of mine. And he was like, dude, you got to teach me how to dictate, do a course and I'll buy it. And I was like, okay, great. So I did, I just built a course and it's like 20 something videos. It's a full course, but it's like, I wanted to keep it as affordable as possible because I really believe this stuff is so powerful, mm. um, especially now that we've got AI to help with the editing process, because that's where I got hung up. I could dictate all day. I'm going to answer your question, I promise. But um, I could dictate all day. What was what, what took me the longest was the words were so rough that even using Dragon, which was probably the best um, quality wise, there were so many things, homophones that would get switched around to the wrong word. and But chat GPT or open AI playground can fix all that stuff. Now um, we still have to edit it, right? We still have to go through that same process, but it's so much faster to go back and fix the dictation. Um, and then to answer your first question, outlining was the key. I had to mm. outline a different way, right? So like, okay. yes, when I type, my brain is a different kind of brain and I'm typing and I usually go a lot slower anyway. So I'm, I'm able to think through things more when I dictate that stuff goes away and I, I everything starts to sound the same. I always describe every building as government beige because I think that's hilarious. If you're ever go to, you know, here in the I States, all the government, government buildings, they're all the same freaking color, right? Yeah, and yeah. So I, but, but then every building became government beige because I think it's funny. And so when I dictate, I have to be careful not to do that kind of stuff. So I literally in my outline will have notes now. They walk past a building. Nick, you idiot, don't call it government beige. It's blue. Make the building blue. Okay, cool. Then I can, you know, still let the creative juices flow, but it's not government beige. Um, I'm so fascinated by this. How fast did you write books with your fingers? Um, I My fastest one was probably a, a month and a half, maybe something like that. I, okay. I was never very fast as a writer, like okay. typing. Yeah, because, yeah. yeah, okay, I find this so, ugh, I, I, I I need to wrap this up because I'm just taking all no, your no, time. No, no. I'm, I'm so interested by we'll, you. We'll make it um, two episodes. We'll do a double <laughs> double feature. Seriously, um, like, like what we'll do, I'll set up a coupon code. People can get a 20% discount if they're interested in the course. I'm, I want people to have it. Um, I'll send it to you Don't for free of charge. Like I want you to get it because it's really cool, the stuff that you can do now with like some of the AI edition and all that. Um, but it, it it really is a tool that I think can be powerful for people with health issues yeah. or people who just want to increase their efficiency. Or for me, um, like I'm super lazy. I won't go hike. That's ridiculous. Um, but like, I'll go drive, I'll go drive around my beautiful state of Colorado or Hawaii, whatever it is. And I'll just look around and I'll just be talking the whole time. Yeah. So I write pretty quick. Um, but also I'm aware of the damage that that is doing. So like I wrote a book in 12 sessions, my, the last, I did the one I finished on Tuesday, I wrote in 12. Yeah. So I sat down 12 times and that was, that was that. Um, but also I'm aware that that 
does have some repercussions for my hands like especially like in the knuckle region so i'm just like yeah. i try well, to leave a bit of space yeah it's it hard is. to maintain so my record is eighty thousand words in a day oh, which is insane of course that that's dictating, insane. right it, it's not something i want to do every day it's it's exhausting it was a car trip i went drove to texas from colorado where my parents and her parents are and i i just dictated the entire time but the, you know so it was, okay so like one i'm like socially awkward that you're dictating whilst your wife is in the car oh, so like, yeah no there's a, there's a process for that too everybody has to have headphones right so the girls are in the back with their headphones and they light up like little police lights which is super annoying um and then my, they have little ears and then my wife has her headphones in her airpods or whatever they are and she's always watching like netflix or something so i'm like everybody good like i'm looking around like making sure the headphones are in because i don't want anyone to hear the crap that's falling out of my mouth yeah plus i'm writing thrillers you know so i'm like he shot her in the neck and she bled out on the side when my girls are like oh my god it's horrifying i thought you wrote kids books i don't, don't know, know if that would be worse write, but... for you or for me because i'm writing spot <laughs> my nine-year-old right, ex- like, well, right. so, so i have to make sure everyone's and like i look over my wife too because i'm like i, I, I want to make sure that those things are turned way up like i don't want you snooping you know i don't want you yeah. seeing what i'm what i'm doing Anyway, so so that yes, hundred percent. Usually, if I'm dictating, I'm alone in the car. Um, but but if they're in the car with me on a road trip or something, I just wait for them to get settled and get their stuff going. They have little tablets, and um, I give all the girls in my car food and just say, "Hey, everybody, shut up for fourteen hours. I'm dictating. Oh I'm working." <laughs> no, it's amazing. I'm so like, and also the fact that the the, the two of those one two is that you can drive and use your mouth like. I, I don't know that I could split my attention and do, and do that. Well, I don't know. Maybe I could. But anyway, the original question, I'm so sorry. I wanted you to have a chance to talk about author mail. So just talk to me about sure. author mail. <laughs> it, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. Um, I was paying, I was going to have to pay somewhere like $340 a month to MailChimp. Um, and I was like, this is ridiculous. There's got to be a better way to do this. And there wasn't. Um, it was pay another service almost that much. Um, so I thought, well, you know, what these guys are doing is... Um, is building their own like room full of computers that are sending emails. And they have a bunch of like long haired ponytailed guys named John making the servers work. And like, I don't want that. I don't like people named John. So I was like, if I can build this and let somebody else, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Truth, truth comes out. Um, Wait, sorry, come on. Well, he's the exception, but he's okay, not a ponytail. Fine. Yeah. It's, he's uh-huh. not an IT guy. Almost. His hair's pretty um, long. <laughs> that's true that's fair that's fair yeah no we all we like we can't hate keanu reeves he's a national treasure oh i love Um, (laughs) the point is i realized very quickly very early on that there are companies that do cloud computing where you can just pay them to do your networking or bandwidth whatever computing you need to do one of them of course is amazon amazon web services has a platform called simple email service um which is their um email marketing and transactional email platform once you write software to tie into it. And then you have to get approved and build your reputation and all the delivery. There's all kinds of crazy steps you have to take, but then you can send email and let them handle the actual sending. You have to just handle the bounce processing and complaints and all that. The point is there's all this technical stuff, but I didn't, I realized I didn't have to pay all the money to set up a server farm on my own and maintain that. So um, email author email is a cloud-based email service provider where we don't have any infrastructure in-house. We are paying other companies to do that for us. Um, that's that's the hardware part. Uh, the software is all our own. Author email is a cloud-based comp- um, email service, which means we get to charge a lot less to every author who uses it. So it is $10.99 a month for up to 10,000 subscribers. I think it's 9999 to be 
tricky. Um, so you have 10,000 or, or fewer subscribers. You can send as many emails as you want every single day. Um, and you know, we have tiers that go up from that. We have a 30 day free trial. We don't offer a free tier like MailChimp does. So, you know, forever, we just have a 30 day free trial because again, this does cost computing resources and stuff, but um, if you're interested in that kind of thing, if you're starting out or if you've got a mailing list and, and you're with someone who's charging you a lot, um, what we found out was authors don't really need a customer relations management tool, like a CRM system, which is what MailChimp is becoming. And a lot of these other ones are really made for really slick, really fancy um, uh, segmentations. You know, if somebody clicks on this part of the funnel and they want to go into this group over here and then get eight different autoresponders about this that all lead to a video call... We can do crazy stuff like that, but most authors don't need that. They just want to send autoresponders, uh, individual campaigns, maybe an RSS feed. They want to design their emails to make them look good and simple, and we can do all that stuff, and it's way cheaper. So that's the pitch. That's the whole the whole spiel. But I'm the guy behind it. I'm an author full-time. That's what I do. So I I use it every day or every week. Uh, not Like I said, I, I don't send emails every day, but... Um, I'm usually in there every day and I'm, I'm an author first and foremost. And so everything that we do is built for authors. Yeah, I love it. And I am in the process. Well, I've got my email to, to sign up. So I will, even though I'm dying over having to move everything, I am yeah, going I to be moving because like, hey, you, you, you've got the perfect service and it costs less than half of what everybody else is charging. So why wouldn't people come and sign up? Right. And, and the whole reason to explain all the technical stuff was just so that people know, like, we're not charging less money because it's less service. It's less feature rich. It's just as, as much, uh, you can do as much complex stuff in there as in the other services. Um, but we don't have, you know, a, a server farm of our own. Yeah. yeah. Overhead is a lot lower. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Uh, I think I've probably been a rebel in more ways than one for my entire career, honestly. I Because, I, I mean, as you know, like as we've talked, like you can kind of hear some of the ways that I approach stuff is just almost obtusely different, like on purpose. Like I'm trying trying to break things because um, I found that I'm not afraid to fail. Um, I'm not afraid to tell people that I failed um, because it, it makes me a better person every time and it makes me... Um, it forces me to learn, right? So author email was exactly that. My first book was exactly that. How hard could it be? Let me just try it. If I had known how hard these things were, I would never have done it. Uh, I, yeah. I don't believe in so failure. I, yeah. I either win or I learn. There you go. Exactly. You either win <laughs> or learn. Um, truthfully. So that's kind of how I am. Um, I, I I didn't build an email service because I wanted to you know, be an entrepreneur and make a bunch of money. It was literally because I was like, there has to be a better way. I'm going to rebel against this system of paying $300 a month for all these tools I don't need, first of all, but then, you know, there's got to be a better way. Uh, and I, I do that with my fiction all the time. I do that with putting links in the middle of a book just to test it out. I'm kind of rebellious in that way. Um, I love the idea of what, what rebellion means. Like, I love the concept of, hey, here's a system or here's a, a known entity. Let's let's change. It. Let's just break it to see what happens. There's a lot of beauty that comes out of that. So I'm, I'm a fan. Do you know, I think I think that a lot of rebellion is about finding joy. Because I like that. Yeah. yeah, that's that. after after God knows how many. I think I'm approaching three years of doing this podcast, and I genuinely think that rebellion is about finding the joy inside. Because somebody's told us no, or somebody's tried to suppress us, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. somebody has 
has broken a system and, you know, suppressed a whole cohort of humanity. And we fight for the joy, the fight for the peace inside. And I genuinely think that that is what rebellion is about. And that's why it's so powerful. I hundred percent agree with that. I think there's definitely instances and cases where a particular manifestation of rebellion is probably the wrong approach, but the core is this search for joy, this search for meaning a lot of times and and what that, what that represents. So I, no, I totally agree with that. I think that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you and your services and your books and anything else that you would like to add? Sure. I am on the internet. Uh, I am <laughs> imminently findable. There's one poor, uh, I think he's a dentist, this poor guy in California who's got the same name as me. And I buried him on Google long ago. <laughs> um, so you won't find him. You'll find me. But no, search for me. Um, my website has, uh, I'm, I'm currently updating it, but it should just be like a landing page with all the links to all my stuff. Um, so if you want to go check out Radio Right, you know, li- link to that um, on my website. And then um, Book Career in a Year is where those courses live. So if you're interested in the dictation stuff, bookcareerinayear.com is the one for that. And I think all the other ones we've just mentioned as we've gone, right? authoremail.com. So I'm all over the place. And of course, you know, if you're interested in the fiction, that's all on Amazon um, and my publishing website. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. And of course, we'll include the links in the show notes as well. And thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Nick Thacker, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm talking to Denise Baden, and we are talking about a topic that I have never spoken about, which is eco-fiction. So a whole new genre of fiction that I'd never even heard of. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.